Welcome to the Arise Church Podcast. At Arise, we're a community of imperfect people, pursuing and experiencing a transformative relationship with Jesus and one another. For more information, you can find us online at ariseonline.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning, church. If you're new with us, I just want to say uh, welcome. Uh, We hope that you felt welcomed here at Arise Church. We'd love to connect with you. We have connection cards inside of the seats in front of you that you can fill out and return to the Connection Center. Uh, And there's a a free gift that uh, is given to those who do do so. Uh, We'd love to get to know you better. Um, Also, there's some inside of that same spot where you'd find the connection cards. There's a sermon notes for kids. This sounds exactly like what it is, what the title says. It is sermon notes for kids. This is a great way to help uh, stay engaged and also to spark conversations around the Bible as a family. And it doesn't get a whole lot better than that. Uh, If you have your Bibles with you, you can go ahead and turn to John. We're going to be in the book of John, and we're going to be in chapter 21 this morning. We're going to be continuing in this series that we've been walking through the past couple of weeks called Jesus at the Table. The text we are going to spend the majority of our time in is John 21, and we're going to look at verses 4 through 19. If you don't have a Bible with you, we will have the text up on the screen for you to follow along with as well, if you want to in that way. Uh, but I'd ask that you would stand in the honor of, reading, of the reading of God's word. John 21, 4 through 19. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. Now they were... Now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, It is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for working, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were, there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had to ask him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death 
he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. You may be seated. And let me pray for us before we continue. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the ways in which you are moving in our community. This morning, we're thankful for your word. Your word is truth. May we fall more in love with your word this morning, that in turn we would fall more in love with you. We give you this time. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Now today we're going to look at the, the person of Peter, to see how some of the things that was taught to Peter was impo- can be imparted on our own lives. Because we break into this story that we just read on a night that the disciples had been fishing all night. A night of fishing, yes, but also a night of fishing that was a complete failure. He had, they had caught absolutely nothing. So let's dive back into our verse. Look at verse 4. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Now, I don't know if it's true for you, but this story feels very familiar. This It felt very familiar when I was first reading it. And this would make sense because there is a very similar story in the book of Luke chapter 5. If you're not familiar with that one, because they are separate stories. It's not just an account of the same same thing. Uh, But if you are not familiar with that one in Luke 5, this is the one where Jesus asked to use Peter's boat because the, the crowd is pushing in to hear him teach. And he wanted to use it kind of as a teaching platform. And now... Jesus had first spotted that boat as Peter was fishing all night, again, without any success. So the fishermen were actually up by the shore cleaning off the nets to to go in. And now Jesus, after he used the platform to preach from, asked Peter to go row out into the deep waters and let his nets down. Peter complained that he had had the same kind of reaction here. He had finished all night He'd been fishing all night. He had no success. But even still, he obeys Jesus. And guess what? Peter and the other fishermen catch a whole bunch of fish. Now, this story has many of the same kind of parts, kind of interchangeable parts, but they're actually different. There's big differences that I want to mention this morning. While the the players are the same and the setting is basically the same and the, the fact that the disciples were unsuccessful another time at Uh, fishing and catching absolutely anything. One key difference in Luke 5 is that Jesus is in the boat. In Luke 5, he's in the boat, while in our text for this morning, we find Jesus on the shore, a hundred yards away from the boat and the disciples. So, So Peter and the other disciples do not even recognize who it is that they're speaking to. In fact, they don't even know who they're speaking to when Jesus first asked them to cast their nets back into the water. The disciples have absolutely no clue who is giving them these fishing tips. But even so, they decide to listen to the man. And then all of a sudden, there's that light bulb moment for John in verse 7. 
That disciple whom Jesus loved said, therefore, to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. Now, there's something odd about Peter's action in this coming realization to who it was that he was speaking. Now that he knows that it's Jesus, he, he does something kind of odd. Because while Peter had been working, he removed his outer garment. So he's wearing little to nothing. So that's odd. Maybe not for you, but it is in my line of work. <laughs> Yet before he dives into the sea, he decides to add some layers. Now, I'm not a water person at all. I hate it. But if I'm going to jump into any amount of water, I do not first put on a jacket. I don't got my swim trunks on and then throw a jacket on to then jump in the water. Um, it's just not what I'm going to do. But this is what we see Peter do. He puts his outer garment on to cover himself up before he goes to see the Savior. This is important. Think back to Genesis in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve first sinned, what was the first thing that they decided to do? Well, they, they had to hide because they had to cover their nakedness because they were attempting to hide the shame while speaking to the holy God. An important thing to know when we think about our story here in Peter's situation is when this actually takes place. This is very soon after Peter has denied and betrayed Jesus. So Peter finds himself in a similar place to Adam and Eve where he feels the need to cover himself out of shame from denying Jesus. Peter has changed a whole lot since the great fish account of Luke 5 here. Because in, in Luke 5, Peter casts his nets into the water and their nets are so full of fish, the nets are actually beginning to break. And so he ends up having to call another boat over so they can help him with the, to, to get the fish into the boat. And then when they get the fish into the boat, there's, there's so many fish that it's on the verge of actually sinking. Here, Peter's reaction when all of this takes place is to fall on his knees and to say this, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Depart from me because I'm a sinful man, O Lord. This reaction really does seem appropriate when you think about it. Because Peter has just saw the character of God on display. The power of God on display. How overwhelming this must be. Because the more we begin to see how good, how gracious, how holy of a God it is that we serve, the farther apart we feel that we deserve to be. Which is true, except for by the grace of God and the work of Jesus on the cross. Because now we have a seat at the table. But this time, everything changed. This time in, in John, everything changed. Here we see Peter jumping into the water to be closer to Jesus even though he has a whole lot more to be ashamed of, so much more to be embarrassed about. But instead of trying to put more and more space between himself and the Savior, he dives into the water so that he can get to as close to Jesus as possible. Now, there, there are four things that we're going to see as it pertains to us as the followers 
of Jesus and that I want to highlight from our text this morning. We're going to look at our confidence. We're going to look at our comfort. We're going to look at our concern and our commitment. The first of these has already begun to show up in those verses that we've just read. Our confidence is in the sovereignty of Christ. Our confidence is in the sovereignty of Christ. Our confidence need not be in our own strength, but in the sovereignty of God. And we see this in the disciples. Here we see these fishermen who are experts in their profession. And Jesus decides to use the area in their life that they are the most confident about. They have the most confidence in their own strength. And he uses this account to teach them a vital lesson. Following Jesus means that our confidence can, cannot be in our own strength, but must be in his sovereign hand. Let's look at verses 8 and 9. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out of the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, which with fish laid out in it and bread. Now this part on its own kind of seemed a little odd. Specifically, John deciding that he needed to add in this little bit about the charcoal fire at your first read that just doesn't, it seems like a needless detail. However, the Gospel of John talks about a charcoal fire two times. Here in verse 9, and then previously in John chapter 18, verse 18. And the smell of the charcoal burning fire once was a great reminder of Peter's greatest failure and soon is going to become a soothing aroma as Peter is restored. Let's just tuck that away back in our minds and we'll, we'll come back to that and address that. That was just a little foreshadowing. Uh, verse 10 and 11. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. It's interesting what Peter does here. All of the disciples are now on the shore with the fish still in the nets. And then Jesus asks the disciples to bring them some of the fish. And what is Peter's response he jumps up and he goes and gets it by himself. 153 fish. That's probably heavy. Peter is all in at this point. Peter is all in. He swam as fast as he could to get closer to him. Now you need some fish? Whatever you say, Lord, I'm in. I got this. Verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who were you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is a key moment because here we see Jesus inviting his disciples to have breakfast with him. After they had been working all night. We see him offer both bread and fish to eat. 
The same Jesus who washed their feet in the upper room. The same Jesus who had taken their place on the cross. The same Jesus who died, was buried, and rose again. The same Jesus was still serving them today. Providing them with a meal. And in the exact same way, he's doing this for you and me today. The second thing that we see highlighted in our text is that our comfort is in the mercy of Christ. Our comfort is in the mercy of Christ. It's not our own goodness. It's not our morality, the, thing, the things that we've done or even the things that we will do. We have comfort in this life only because of the mercy shown by our Savior. Question one of the Heidelberg Catechism, what is our only comfort in life and death? Answer is that I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death to my faithful Jesus Christ. This isn't because of something that we've done. This is because of the mercy of our Savior. We see this all throughout Peter's life. Because when you think about it, there is, there is no disciple who took greater comfort in himself than Peter. He took great comfort in his own work, in his own effort, in his own moral standing. That's, that's Peter, to a T, we see this all throughout his life. A man who had really little to no doubt that he could do anything that he set his mind to. Take the night that Jesus was arrested, for example. On that night, Peter pledged undying devotion to Jesus, going as far as to say that he would die alongside him. And then Jesus responds, predicting that Peter's actually going to betray him. He's actually going to deny him three times. And just as predicted, by Jesus, Peter finds himself doing just that. And just like that, that glass house of self-righteousness that he was living in is shattered on the floor once again. But isn't this something that we all need in our lives? Kind of often. To come to a point where we realize that we can find no lasting comfort in ourselves, in our own Morality. Peter needed to be broken. He needed also to be restored. And we see both this brokenness and the restoration of Peter as we tie those two times that John has referenced that charcoal fire. Let's just jump to John 18 real quick. This is right on the heels of Jesus being arrested. John 18, 17 and 18, the servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, no, I'm not. Now the servant and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. This was the beginning of his denial of Jesus. In just a few more verses, if we went just a little bit farther, we we're gonna see him do that three times. This was the first time that we, we read of Peter being around that aroma of a charcoal fire. The next time we do is going to bring him to a much sweeter place. Because Peter had denied him three times, so it's no coincidence that Jesus is now going to ask Peter if he loves him three times. Let's look at our text, verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, 
do you love me more than these? Or he's asking, do you love me more than the disciples love me? Do you you love me more than the other disciples? Isn't this exactly what Peter has mistakenly tried to find his comfort in? To be the man, to be the best of the disciples? It's not good enough to just be one of the 12. I gotta be the one. But how could a man who has just denied three different times, deny Jesus three times, claim that he loves him any more than the others? Before he betrayed Jesus, he claimed that he would die with Jesus before denying him. This time his answer is similar but different. I feel like this time it's detached from self-righteousness. He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you because now Paul realizes that his comfort isn't in his doing but in the mercy of his Savior and his confidence is in the fact that The Savior is the sovereign one. The Savior is the one who is in control of all this. The Savior is the one who knows. So what does Jesus ask of Peter? He asks if he truly loves him. So what is he to do? Feed my lambs. Which brings up the third thing that I want to highlight from our text is our concern. Our concern is for people. Our concern is for people. It's not about us anymore. It's not about number one anymore. It's about people. Not only does Jesus in the same breath restore Peter, he also commissions him. As we look in verse 16, we see Jesus continue to instruct him to feed his sheep. He said to him second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had to ask him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything and you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now earlier in the gospel of John, we learn that Jesus' sheep are those who will believe in him. When you put your faith in Jesus, you are a part of his family. The believing ones. Now, we all have this same natural tendency of selfishness. We all are bent to look out for ourselves. That's our natural inclination. But there's no place in Scripture where we see that we are supposed to love ourselves. But to truly follow Jesus means that our priorities shift. They begin to change. Instead of being self-serving, we will serve others the way that Jesus demonstrates time and time again throughout all of Scripture. And this brings the fourth thing that I want to highlight this morning. It's that our commitment is to the gospel. Our commitment is to the gospel. It's not about our own comfort. We see this laid out for us in verses 18 and 19. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you were old, You will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So here Jesus is telling Peter the way in which he is going to suffer for his faith. But even still, the call is the same. Jesus says, follow me. In one sense, the Christian life seems very simple. 
follow me, make disciples. Easy to say, really hard to do. These are the things that we like to hear talked about. We like people to say it when we're inside of this building. But how many of us are actually doing it? Jesus went to the cross. He suffered for you. But will you suffer for him? Sometimes he will lead you to the mountaintop. Sometimes he will lead you through a valley. But follow him we must. I want to close today's message by reading an excerpt from a song by Beautiful Eulogy. It says, I will offer a sacrifice of praise. I know it's going to cost me. The cost is not greater than the cross where you bought me. I was lost and you sought me. I was ignorant and you taught me. I was impotent against my enemies. You fought for me. I exist for your glory, never for mine. I never would shine if it wasn't for your spirit inside me. You made me alive when I was dead in trespasses. The passion of Christ left my sin in the past tense. Every good and perfect gift comes from your hand. You set me back on course when I run from your plan. No excuse to refuse to lift my voice because the gospel is true and there's always reason to rejoice. And that don't mean that my, sor my sorrow is inconspicuous. But when I grieve, I got a greater joy in the midst of it. The joy of knowing that I will see you face to face. And it's all to the praise of your glorious grace. May we exalt Christ because our confidence is in the sovereignty of Christ. Our comfort is in the mercy of Christ. Our concern is for people, not ourselves. Our commitment is to the gospel. Now, I usually do this part from over there, but I'm over here. So I don't know how to be over there and be over here at the same time. So I want to take this time to dismiss our kids to their life groups. Our kids can be dismissed to their life groups. I also invite the deacons at this time to come forward and we will continue in worship as we give joyfully. Let's pray together. Dear God, may we respond to the proclamation of your word by worshiping you well. We are grateful and we gratefully give of our tithes and offerings as we pray and sing your word. May all of these things grow our affections for you and for what you have done for us on a daily basis. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.